0: Memoirs of a Mackenzie Friend is sponsored by IamLiP.com. Trigger warning. Memoirs of a Mackenzie Friend deals with the subject of divorce, child custody, domestic abuse, the attitude of public bodies and the family court. Some people may find the content of this episode distressing. Some episodes contain explicit language. My name is Selina. Who am I? I am white. I am black. I am brown. And I am much, much more. I am a Christian. I am a Hindu. I am a Buddhist. I am a Sikh. I am a Muslim. I am Catholic. And human to the core. I am every person who did what they were supposed to do. Leave and tell. I am every person who was re-abused by the system. I am every person who was disbelieved by the police before I even began to speak my truth. I am every person who faced an unaccountable family court only to be silenced by their orders. I am Anonymous Us and here are our stories. last episode, I spoke about the mechanics of economic abuse. And that's the thing. When you look at abuse and the different types, it all looks very clean cut on paper, really easy to understand. And when you neatly apply it to another clean cut scenario in training programs, again, it's all very straightforward to understand. And it's all very straightforward to see. But we all know Real life relationships don't look like that. They're messy and mucky with mixed emotions. Another thing judges don't understand, nothing is that clear cut on surface level. So when you apply the straightforward facts about what economic abuse is into real life scenarios, into real life situations, I promise you, so much of it won't even come across as abuse because it's very well hidden which is why a deeper understanding is required from the judiciary. So, for this session, I want to take elements from the last episode of Economic Abuse and apply them to the incidences in Ben and Holly's relationship. I'm going to begin by focusing on three areas within Holly's life that became a target for economic and financial abuse. The first area is Holly's part-time job. To Holly... Whether she consciously realised this or not, working in a clothes shop was more than just a little job. For one, Holly loved working there. It brought her happiness and joy. For the first time, she was expanding her wings, her post-school, being-in-the-real-world type of wing expanding. Working gave her economic freedom. Until Holly got her job, any money she had was either pocket or birthday money. Working gave her the financial freedom of choice to do a lot more. Discover different things. Do something, such as go and blow a shed load on an expensive meal with one of her colleagues. It was about walking around her store, looking at all the lovely bags and clothes and shoes and jewellery that she could buy, wanted to buy. Watch women come in and purchase outfits at a flick of a credit card. It gave her a taste for ambition and what that ambition could afford her, and what kind of life she would actually like. It gave her a thirst for wanting to do well in life. When her colleagues went out, granted, she couldn't drink, but she was experiencing places unknown to her, like pubs and bars and coffee shops, and places to go for lunch and brunch. It widened her horizons. She also got to know new people, become friends with colleagues who were different to her in terms of age and background. Her store manager had teenage children, one only a year younger than Holly. Until then, all of Holly's peers were her own age, her school friends, and any older people with children Holly knew were either family friends or her cousins. Her job was all about showing her life freedom. The second area of Holly's life I want to bring up were her grades and education, a few months into sixth form. Holly was struggling with some of her coursework. Her college tutor was not overly worried about it because it was not unknown for students to struggle at this point because it was quite a big jump from GCSEs to A-levels. And for Holly, college was different from school where at school work was more structured, homework was more structured. It wasn't just about handing in coursework. And in addition, there were more things happening in Holly's life. Her relationship, her job, developing a new social life, developing a social structure. What was happening here was about Holly learning her work-life balance, a common skill. It's something many people go through, learning how to juggle work and life, commitments and relationships. And for many, it's one of life's learning curves. And the third and final area I want to look at is the subject of Holly's store card. Holly was out shopping in a big department store, buying some clothes. When she went to the till, the cashier told her that if she took out a store card that day, she could get 20% off with her purchase. So Holly thought, why not? She wasn't gullible. She was a pretty smart young lady. At no stage did Holly ever max out, overspend or couldn't keep up with her payments. There were a few hundred pounds on her store card, which she was comfortably paying off with her wages every month her store card, was about teaching Holly how to handle her money, how to budget. She was developing a credit footprint and a credit identity. This area was about Holly discovering her economic freedom and her economic responsibilities. All three areas were just part and parcel of growing up. So, let me now show you. How these three random everyday situations were utilised and manipulated to inflict economic abuse, and how, on the surface, something like this is entirely misunderstood by the family courts and magistrates. Firstly, I will begin with her college work. The primary thing to look at here is language. The language Ben used was very important. Holly was not struggling with her grades and never was. It had nothing to do with her job and it had nothing to do with her academic abilities and neither was she overwhelmed or out of her depth. Yet this narrative was used to suggest that she give up on other things in her life apart from Ben. Holly's tutor called it correctly when she said, spend less time with that boyfriend of yours and a bit more time studying. What was actually happening here? that Holly was struggling to keep on top of everything. Ben was demanding so much of her time in person, via the phone, texting, messaging, over and above what would be justifiable and understandable in any honeymoon period. And at the end of the honeymoon period, rather than doing the healthy thing of having a few nights of doing their own thing and catching up on coursework, seeing other friends, Ben wanted the same level of time and attention from Holly, leaving her no room to expand and do other things, to have the mental and emotional capacity to focus on other areas of her life. And then Ben made it clear something else had to go, i.e. the job. But there was a bump in the road, Holly having a store card. So when Holly made it clear that she was keeping her job, Ben tried another simple tactic, one that he knew would work. He broke up with her. By then. The withdraw and reward technique was an important part of Ben's control over Holly. And Holly loved him as she didn't want to split up with him. So the shock made her more compliant and made her more likely to be susceptible to be manipulated. Then Ben expanded his tactics, an offshoot of the withdraw reward method. I tend to call it the unreasonable reasonable tactic. Let me explain. Ben did something that could be seen as wrong telling Holly to give up her job, but not allowing the option to spend a little less time together. Now, if Holly had been given some time to mull over it and really think about it, there was a strong chance, after the fact, she may go, hang on, that's not right. So before she had time to realise that Ben was being unreasonable, Ben pretended to respect Holly's decision, then immediately mask it by offering to put together a schedule to help her cope. Again, look at the language help her cope, and once again, at no stage was the option of spending less time with Ben. So Ben went from doing something unreasonable to acting reasonable. Can you see where the manipulation lays? Holly, still fragile from Ben trying to break up with her, let Ben put her on a schedule for her own good. This was her way of being amenable to somehow get them back on track. However, Ben's schedule was making Holly unhappy. It wasn't working. It was unrealistic and her grades were not improving. And the more Ben's schedule wasn't working and the more she wasn't keeping on top of her college work, the more she couldn't find a good reason to keep her job on, apart from her store card. So, lo and behold, Ben generously offered to pay it off. Now, let me make one thing clear. There's nothing wrong with this, per se. There's nothing wrong with helping someone out sometimes. Many people have loaned friends money, helped their partner out, or carried them financially. And as I said, there's nothing wrong with that in healthy situations. But in abusive ones, and in Holly's case, this of course was the beginning of her not controlling her own money anymore. Once Holly gave up her job, and Ben paid off her store card, Ben made Holly pay any money she did have, any pocket money she was getting from her mum, any birthday money, Christmas money, into his account to make up for what he had paid off. And this is where things began to get twisted. Holly had got herself into debt. Ben had rescued Holly. Ben had bailed her out. She was irresponsible. As Ben was now bearing the financial brunt for them romantically, so it was Ben who got to decide for them as a couple. Ben decided where they went, because he was paying. If they went to the cinema, Ben chose the film, because he was paying. If they went out, he chose what they ate, because he was paying. And this was closely manipulated with helping her eat healthy because she was still podgy Holly. What had been set up here was she owed him. He had done something nice and she was indebted to him. Any gesture that comes with conditions that will then be used against you is not the nice gesture it may seem at first. Then, one step further, Ben kept her on her schedule, for her own good of course, using her irresponsibility as an excuse. Now how does this connect to economic abuse? It's called educational sabotage. His schedule was ensuring that she wasn't studying effectively so that she couldn't get good grades and go off to university. Which was then turned into, you're just not that smart. Which married well with the notion that Holly had been irresponsible with money. Holly couldn't look after her money. Holly had got herself into debt. And Holly simply went along with this. The more this control went on, the more unhappy Holly got. The more unhappy Holly got, the more her grades suffered. The more her grades suffered, the less likely she was to go to a Russell Group in London to study law. So by the time they applied for university, Holly was fully economically and financially under Ben's control, and that was on top of all the other non-physical abuse. And even if she did wish to apply to a good uni to study law, her grades being what they were, it was no longer an option. Ben had now decided that they would both be going to the local university and Holly would study something more manageable. I mean, after all, how would she cope? I mean, she must know. If she went away, she would get herself into economic trouble. And Ben was being very clever. He was drip-feeding this into her family. So she was getting the same messages there. And Holly, she just went along with it all because it was easier. When they started university, Ben decided that they would get in a flat and they were not going to stay in halls or residence. Again, Holly had no say in any of it. So any money she had from student loans, money from her mum, birthday, was all still being paid into Ben's account. So when Ben spun the situation in that he was now keeping them both, he was financially carrying them both. It was his financial freedom that had been taken away by Holly. He was the one being economically clipped by Holly. What a wonderful and insidious use of Darvo. Let's be clear here. Holly's store card amounted to a few hundred pounds. Her last month's salary, any birthday money, Christmas money, would have repaid that within a very short period of time. Ben treated Holly like a child and only ever gave her the exact amount she would need. Holly had no access to her own money to do anything, not even go for a coffee with her classmates after lectures. Sometimes one of her classmates would offer to shout Holly a coffee but Holly couldn't say yes because she knew that she would never be able to buy them one back sometime in the future. And if Holly did ask for money, Ben was all very Look, we're struggling. Why would you want to waste money on coffee? We wouldn't be in this position if it weren't for you. I'm doing my best for us. I'm trying to create a future. Look at you. So Holly stopped asking Ben for money and did that for most of their relationship. Not once did Holly spend any money on herself unless it was Ben deciding what to spend it on. And at the time, Holly thought that was okay, because if you remember, by then, she had been put on antidepressants, and that further clipped her economically. Remember one thing, abusers will pretend to be generous in order to make you economically reliant on them, thus making it harder to leave. Many judges out there would never see any of this as economic abuse. Just a boyfriend being nice and choosing to support an irresponsible girlfriend with mental health issues. Then after uni, Ben decided they would buy a house. Again, Holly had no say in the buying of the house and what house they bought and what area. She had no input on the mortgage. What company? What type of mortgage? She just quietly signed any papers that were put in front of her. But what about Holly's choices? Maybe she didn't want to buy a house. Maybe she wanted to buy a flat. Maybe she wanted to move out of the area and buy somewhere else. And maybe she didn't want to buy a house in her early 20s and wanted to travel the world. And maybe, just maybe, she wanted some say and control in her life. Now, can you see how the patterns started and were carried through throughout their whole relationship? I'm going to leave it there for this session, but I'm going to leave you with a question. How do you think the economic abuse was carried through once they had split up? I'll pick that up in part two. Memoirs of a Mackenzie Friend is sponsored by IamLIP.com If you are struggling with any of the issues discussed in today's episode, please go to www.iamlip.com where you can receive further information and help. Disclaimer. The stories mentioned in this episode are fictional accounts based on and adapted from real-life experiences. Due to the repetitive nature of the family court, any similarities to any other cases are purely coincidental.